0: and non-compassionate thinking. Even Christ used socially relevant parables to teach as well as to challenge the Pharisees and Sadducees. This is very apparent in our young uh, people's generation. I believe it because mom and dad said so doesn't cut it anymore. We need to understand the historical significance and relevance of our faith. There really should be components of your series and new member and leadership training and you should even consider another book just wanted to encourage you on that. that. That's pretty heavy. And this is the kind of feedback that I'm getting particularly from parents regarding their children. Now, I, I want to talk to you today about something that I think is, is radical. Today, I'm going to go Indiana Jones on you. I'm talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark here. I mean, I'm going to deal with some stuff that is, woo hair on the nape of your neck, stand up kind of stuff. Amen. I want to show you some things that are happening that you probably have not heard about. Our text has been in Proverbs 4 verses 20 through 22 and again I will not take the time to read it. Our series that we are in for this year is Kingdom Keys uh, that uh, will to an abundant life lead to an abundant life of much love many blessings and great favor. But in Proverbs he talks about the need to give attention to God's words. And in verse 21, uh, he goes on to say that we shouldn't let them depart from eyes. 22, and he says they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. And I've pointed out each week, though at this point I don't need to do it, I've done it purposefully to be redundant. And the reason that I'm doing that is because I want to so hammer this into your subconscious that it moves from here to here. I, I think you'll understand what I'm talking about when I say there is a place where faith has to move from here to here. Until it moves from here to here, your faith is not established yet. It can still be shaken. If it's only here, if it's head knowledge and intellectual only, someone else can come along and challenge that with their supposed insights, ideas, and etc. But once it moves into this point right here where it's in your heart, It becomes so firmly established that you, as it were, integrate that into your person. It becomes a part of who you are. For example, many people think truth are certain verses in the Bible. So you have all these doctrines and denominations out there with their doctrines saying, this is the truth, bless God, and you're wrong. No, truth is not a verse in the Bible. Truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, come on, I need a little bit better response than that. Amen. Amen. What do I mean by that? I mean, truth is not the the pet verses of your favorite denomination. Truth is a person. It moved from being here to here. It was incorporated in the life of an individual, and that individual was the Son of God, living out and manifesting His word in our world. And so, I'm talking to you about that word health right there. That means literally that God's word is a medicine for whatever ails you. I'm purposefully hammering that home week after week and this one as well and the gospel of mark chapter nine where this father with this son who is being cast into the fire and into the water by a demonic spirit that's trying to kill him goes to the disciples to get help now it's one thing for the church to go to the world but it's another thing for the world to come to the church jesus said go ye therefore into all the world but it's another thing when the world starts knocking at your door saying we need help and it's even a, a worse thing when in the church has to say, we can't help you. Which is what happened with the disciples. They couldn't help this man. And so he goes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you can do anything, please help us. And Jesus said, all things are possible. And, and you know the story, the man cries out, Lord, I believe, but uh, help me overcome my unbelief. This plaintive wail, this, this cry of an anguished heart, a parent, a father, Lord, I recognize in my hour of crisis I have unbelief. And that's usually when you find out when you have it. You don't find it out whenever everything's going well. You find it out when your back is against the wall. The bill is due or overdue. The attorney says you're going to be in court at 9 in the morning. The doctor uses the big C word. That's when you find out whether you have faith or not. You hear what I'm talking about? When you are served, that's when you find out. Oh, when you get the pink slip, that's when you find out. When your knees start knocking together, that's a pretty good indication there's still a little doubt inside. Amen. Your hand's shaking. That, that, that's. And 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, all Scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed. All right? The King James says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. I love this in the NIV. God-breathed. Because what it does is it harkens back to the creation of the world when the Bible says that God spoke the word, the world into existence. Now the Hebrews teach that as the breath came out of his mouth, that it formed letters. And these letters were flames of fire that coalesced into the elements of the universe. That's literally what they teach. That the Big Bang, it came out of his mouth. And they still hear the echoes of that, as I told you earlier in this series, with sensitive microscopes pointed at different places in the the dark universe. They're still hearing the echoes of the explosion of the Big Bang. That was the words of fire that came out of his mouth. Why on the day of Pentecost did tongues of fire appear to them? It's because God created the world with tongues of fire. And then it was messed up by the devil, and he recreated it after his resurrection... When he had paid the price for man's sin, so that man could recapture the relationship he had with God before Satan ruined it. So it says all scripture is God breathed. And why is it given? That the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Today, why you can believe the Bible is true, part three. God, I ask you to speak a word to us that will forever impact our lives in such a way that we can, like Peter, let go of the boat that we have been supporting ourselves with, holding on to. Because Peter never walked on the water, he walked on your word. He stood on the word, not on water. Water will not support a man, but your word will support us under any circumstances. Help us to stand on the word of Almighty God. And we can't do that while we're holding on to something else for support. So Lord, help us to, to realize and come to to grips with the reality of the fact that there's not an error in your Bible anywhere. There's no mistaken translation, that there's nothing in the Bible that is misleading or incorrect, that we can believe your word for it is forever settled in heaven. And may we then begin to experience the realities of those things that you promised us in your word. We ask in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. So I'm going to show you today some of the very latest things that are happening in the world before I do, I want to give you four quick updates because there are four recent archaeological discoveries that have literally shaken the archaeological and historical community regarding the Bible on all four of these points. the Bible has been strongly contested and contradicted by skeptics and so called modern experts, and one of these is that the, when they, they have these archaeological excavations, many times there 's a heel where there was a city. Cities were usually built on hill because it was easier to defend a hill. If you've been in the military, you know you always try to take what? The high ground. Well, they learned that early on in warlike days of years gone by. And so as the city was destroyed and it was reduced to rubble, and uh, then they would build on top of it and so forth, and, and they are discovering that underneath these hills are these remains of ancient civilizations. And they call these... Tails, many of those hills are now abandoned, and they call them tails. There's one in particular, and I've I've participated by the invitation of of some people that were reputed archaeologists years ago. I've actually participated in some of the archaeological excavations. And it's not the kind of stuff that makes you shout. It's tedious, slow work, but I did that because of my fascination with what the Bible had to say. And uh, there's one called Tail Dan, D-A-N and I think it's in Syria, and uh, they, for a long time, skeptics doubted the existence of King David. I don't know if you even know that or not. They said the King David of the Bible was a mythological creature. He was legend. He was not real. It was a fable. Uh, David and Goliath, all fables. And uh, so they doubted the existence of King David because there was not one other place where David was ever mentioned outside the Bible. And the They said, without corroborating evidence, we cannot believe that David ever existed. In Tel Dan, they found an inscription describing King David of Israel's exploits. Once again, proving the Bible was correct and the skeptics were wrong. Then they found, they also, as you know this, I think, doubted the existence of Pontius Pilate, who presided over the trial of Jesus. And then, recently, they found a stone tablet in Caesarea, which I've been to before in Israel, And on this stone tablet, Pontius Pilate is recorded as dedicating a building to the emperor Tiberius of Rome. Once again proving to the skeptics that what they had said was not reality, was indeed fact. Another interesting observation, they had said that by the time Jesus was here, the high priesthood had been done away with. Therefore, the stories of Caiaphas, the high priest, were not real. These were all legends. That's what they said. Because if you can discredit the existence of Caiaphas and the trial of Jesus and Pontius Pilate, then it's not a long step from that to saying there was no resurrection of the dead either. And so they said there was no Caiaphas. Recently, they discovered an ossuary. An ossuary is a Is a clay jar that they put the bones of people in to bury, and they used these back in the times of Jesus. And guess what? It was inscribed on the side of the the clay jar, big jar. They said, Caiaphas, the son of, and they gave his daddy's name, the high priest of Israel. And once again, another proof that the skeptics were wrong. And this one I really liked. Because they further declared that there was no evidence that the Romans had continued to crucify people by the time Jesus was around. They said the Romans had stopped that as a practice and no longer nailed people to the cross. Then they found the remains recently of a man who had been crucified and the scars of the nails still through the bones in his hands and in his feet. And guess what? In one of his feet, a bent nail had been left because they couldn't extract it. From the time of Christ, once again proving on all four points that the skeptics who said these things were not true and because they were not, the Bible could not be believed, were wrong. So they've proven them wrong again. But today I'm going to go beyond those kind of things. I want to take you on a journey. I want to take you on a trip that to me is one of the most incredible that has ever been recorded. You talk about flights of fancy. If I could fly from here to the moon, it would not be as incredible to me as if I can relive the journey of the children of Israel out of slavery into the land of Midian to Mount Sinai and on to the promised land in Israel. Why? Because there is no story in the Bible that is more replete with the supernatural and with miracles than is the story of the exodus of the children of Israel. From the plagues to the loss of Pharaoh's firstborn to the parting of the Red Sea to God discomfiting the the Egyptian army and making chariot wheels fall off to the waters closing over the Egyptian army to their marching through the desert. Get this, in desert terrain where they get a half inch of rainfall every 10 years and they survive. Two and a half million people left Egypt How can two and a half million people survive in a land that gets a half inch of rain every ten years? How do they get fed? There were no McDonald's or Burger Kings back then, I can tell you. And Shoney's big boy had not been become big as of that moment. You know what I mean? Amen. Papacitos was nowhere to be seen on the on the on the horizon. So how did they survive? How did Moses go into the mount forty days? God wrote with his own fingertip and the tables of stone and gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Everything you read about that story is supernatural to a a degree that if you come to understand it is absolutely truth. It revolutionizes the way you approach your study of the Bible and even your relationship to God. Before I get into this, let me just say that with all of these things to do with archaeology, that you, you were not there and I wasn't either. And since we weren't there, there's no way for us to say with absolute certainty on the basis of our own observation that we know it to be true because we saw it to be true. Let me explain what I mean. You end up going instead with the preponderance of evidence. If you were to drive from here to Dallas with a car that had a Houston license tag and dealership emblem on the, on the bag, and you, you were to leave Houston, go to Dallas, and God forbid, something should wipe out the state of Texas. And hundreds of years later, archaeologists were digging in Dallas, and they found your core, and saw that it was Houston, Texas. License tag, it's, it's Houston, Texas. Somebody could make the case, this is Houston, Texas. It isn't, it's Dallas, but they could make the case that it's Houston. Follow me? What keeps them from doing that is that when they're digging... They didn't just find one car. They're going to find many others that say Dallas, and yours says Houston, so they go with the preponderance of evidence. Does that make sense to you? This is simple forensic science. You go with the, you go with the, the greatest possibility. You go where, the, where the, the evidence leads you. And trust me when I say that what you're about to see on the screen in a few minutes, there are more people in jail convicted of a lot less evidence than, you, than you're going to see in, in, in just a few minutes than you would dare imagine. I mean, people are convicted of much less evidence than you're about to see. I want to show you some things. Secondly, let me point out one other problem. And that is, when it comes to archaeology, how many of you have ever been to the Middle East? You've been to Israel, Holy Lands, any, anybody in this? Yeah, yeah. Okay, several of you have. I used to go there three times a year. And I want to tell you, uh, it both blesses me and nauseates me to be there. What do I mean by that? I mean it blesses me to walk where I know Jesus walked. The Mount of Olives, the Kidron Valley. Um, when I go through the, to the Wailing Wall that remains there. When, I, when I, I, I go to the Dead Sea. When I go to Qumran, the caves of the Dead Sea. When I am at the Sea of Galilee. I know this is the very sea the disciples set sail on where Peter... As I said earlier in my prayer, I didn't walk on water, he walked on the word of God. And I'm living where, Je- I'm, I'm, where Jesus lived. I'm, I'm, I'm walking where he walked. That blesses me. It makes it real. On the other hand, the crass commercialism that exists in that part of the world is shocking to the point of being nauseating. Gullible tourists go over there, and I mean they empty their pockets out. Because they have all these shrines that are gilded and everything else, and and you wonder is this real or not? You know, and I mean, for example, we were on the Mount of Olives, and there are all these flat stones with these natural indentations in them. And the guide turns to one and says, "This rock, with these indentations, is the very rock where Jesus was standing when He ascended up into heaven, and that's why these indentations are on this rock." And I'm saying, hmm, I look around, I see all the other rocks with indentations. And you know, and it sounds like a tourist trap to me. You go to the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, you go to some of these other places, uh, the Orthodox uh, crucifixion site, the Orthodox tomb. And you you wonder about that. I get a different feeling when I go to Garden's Tomb, which is the tomb that the Garden Tomb, the Garden Tomb, which is near the bus station in Jerusalem. Been there many, many, many times. A different feeling altogether because that one they have not commercialized, and and so you have both this this sense of 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 you know delight in being there and this sense of disgust. And so you need to understand the huge volumes of money that are generated in a lot of these things. And you need to also understand that that doesn't die easy. So if they find evidence that one of these places is not likely the right place, you think they're going to pack up shop and go home and declare the one they just found to be the right one? No. Oh, they're making their money from this one. They're going to keep it going as long as they can. I want to talk to you, as I said, about the Red Sea and uh, the parting of the waters and Mount Sinai. You say, well, they know where Mount Sinai is. Oh, really? Do they? Do you know it's been fiercely contested and debated through the years? Because the one they call Mount Sinai and have called it Mount Sinai historically is where the St. Catherine's Monastery is at in the the Sinai Peninsula. And in case uh, you don't realize it, as I said, there were 2.5 to 3.5 million Jewish people in the wilderness. There is a valley there. And according to the Bible, Israel camped at that mountain for months and months and months and even years. Now, here's the problem. The valley near St. Catherine's Monastery can hold a maximum of 600,000, 650,000 people. They have proven that it cannot be the right location. They've come up with other alternative places that it might be. But the monastery is still there. You know why it was there? Was it put there whenever Moses crossed the Red Sea? No. It was put there over 300 years after Jesus had uh, ascended to heaven, which is almost 2,000 years after they crossed the Red Sea. So many of those things, they don't really know exactly where it was, and it's left up to present day investigators to try to find them. Oh, yes, they have—they built their tourist traps. You better know they have and their shrines and all of that so that they, they can get the gullible and so forth. But when we look at the evidence, it's a different matter. Now, let me say this. Um, this mystery of the Red Sea, And when I look at at trying to find where Israel crossed the Red Sea and where the real Sinai is, I would think I would do better, and don't you agree, to go to the Bible which gives us clues as to where these things are located. If you read your Bible, there are clues. Rather than just trusting somebody that lived 2,000 years later to try to tell me where it was at when the information they're they're giving obviously does not correlate and cannot be correct. There have been a number of clues that have dropped along the way uh, in the Bible. For consider the Red Sea crossing. The Bible tells us that Pharaoh's army tried to cross through the Red Sea and pursue Israel, but the waters collapsed and they were drowned. Put it up there on Exodus 14, 24 through 28, if you would, please. I want to show you some scripture. And when the Egyptians started to go through the Red Sea, God troubled the army of the Egyptians. Come on, scroll through. And he took off their chariot wheels, and the Egyptians became afraid and said, let us flee. And the Bible said to Moses, the, that God said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, and the waters drowned them one more time. And, uh, and, and so they, the sea returned to its full depth, And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians, gone. And when the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all of that, uh, there was nothing that remained, not so much as one of them remained. So one clue should be that if you find the actual location, there could be archaeological evidence. There could be remains of chariots, wheels, things like this that remain there. And because you see... um, Many of these things remain for years. They find all of these artifacts that that still exist, arrowheads, spearheads, things like this, things of metal. You may not or may remember me saying this, but maybe if you're visiting with me, you don't know. Uh, Underwater photography has been a passion of mine for uh, 35 years or or, or so. I've, I've had an instructor's license for over 30 years. taught people how to dive, how to take underwater photography, uh, uh, a photo, uh, uh, underwater photos. And I've done this for years and years. It was my passion. I've dived on, on wrecks that go all the way back to the time of Christ. I've dived on World War II wreckage and, and wreckage from uh, other things. And it, it's, 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 it, Things remain is what I'm trying to say. I've, I've seen it and take photographs, not of chariot wheels, no, not saying that. But what I am saying is that a reasonable assumption might be that if this is where Israel really did cross and Pharaoh's army drowned, that you might find some evidence of that if you look. Second thing, second assumption would be this, that since Mount Sinai is not located in Mount Sinai, you need to go to where the Bible, or not, not, not located in Sinai, you need to go to where the Bible says it is located. Where does the Bible say that, Mount Sinai is located. Exodus 3 and 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. He was in the land of Midian. He fled from Pharaoh and went to the land of Midian. And a clue is, is that Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, which another name for Mount Sinai is Mount Horeb. In the Bible, they're used interchangeably. Where was it at? It was in the land of Midian. So if you find the land of Midian, that's a second clue. Okay, number three, another clue. The Scripture speaks of Sinai being near a place called Elam where there were 12 whales and 70 palm trees. So if you find a trail of artifacts through the Red Sea and and 2.5 million people are going to lose some things, break pottery, Uh, lose uh, uh, an arrowhead they shot at an animal and missed, threw a spear and missed, you're going to find artifacts along the way, a historical archaeological trail of evidence that support the fact that people went through here. And if you come to 12 whales, hey, that's a pretty good clue. And then if you find out that that's in the land of Midian, that's pretty insightful as well. Now moving on from that, at Sinai is also where they built an altar to the golden calf. So then if you find an altar near a mountain and it's dedicated to the calf god of Egypt, that's pretty significant. Exodus 32 verses 3 through 7, the people took their earrings and Aaron, Aaron made a, a golden calf with them, Move, scroll on through this slowly, and when the people saw it, they proclaimed a feast and they rose up. And, and began to commit fornication. In verse number 7, the Lord said to Moses, get down from the mountain, for your people who you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. And so one clue would be a, an altar. You say, would the altar remain after these years? Yeah, they made them of stone. And they found many, many, many altars throughout the Middle East. I've seen their altars there that were made of stone. Now suppose you found... You found an archaeological trail. You found underwater remains of chariots. You found 12 whales, palm trees. Now you found an altar inscribed or dedicated to the calf god. And then moving on from that, suppose that you found the altar that Moses dedicated to the Lord God Jehovah. Because it it was built at the foot of the altar. When Moses came down, he built an altar to the Lord God Jehovah. So you have the calf god And its altar, you have the real God and his altar, just like it always has been historically, the real God juxtapositioned against the false God to show which one is the truth. You see, God's not afraid of being measured by the world because he so far outdistances everything else, he loses it. They get lost in his smoke, if you understand. I mean, they're eating dust every step of the way. God's not challenged. Do you understand what I'm saying? When he goes to defend himself. Further, the Bible said the presence of God descended upon Mount Sinai and the mountaintop burned with fire. Exodus 19, 18. Normally, fire leaves evidence. It would blacken an area, right? Your house catches on fire. It blackens the area. If you know what I'm talking about. I mean, in Louisiana, every year they'll burn the marshes to get rid of vermin and so forth. And, and you'll fly over and you'll see the charred marshlands there in, in the swamps of Louisiana. I mean, stuff like this leaves a trail a tree that is in a forest that survives a forest fire, if you go many years later and cut it down and its growth rings, there will be a carbon circle because it survived that and the, the fire left evidence of the, in the year that it passed by. And so if you could find a mountain, now let's put it together, if you could find a mountain with a charred, smoky top, If you could find two altars at the bottom, one to the calf God, one to Jehovah God, a short distance away, if you could find 12 whales with some palm trees, find an archaeological trail of evidence, and oh yeah, what about a rock in the middle of the desert that split and gushed water? If you could find evidence any of that existed, you might think this is compelling. Amen. You might want to argue with it. Now, add one more, a couple other things. Exodus 24 and verse 4. When Moses built that altar, he also put up 12 pillars, one for each of the tribes of Israel. Add to the list of things you find, evidence of 12 pillars. Would that be compelling for you? Is that good forensic evidence? And then move on because this is the very mountain that the Bible tells us in 1 Kings 19, 8-9 where Elijah went and hid in a cave, And this is where God spoke to him in a still, small voice. Now, you would think there would need to be a cave somewhere in the area. And finally, as the most compelling of evidence, if all of this is in Midian, why? Because look at what, where is Midian, by the way? You'll see in a moment. Paul says in Galatians 4 and 25 in the, the Bible, that Mount Sinai actually is located in Arabia. Not, Mount, not in the Sinai Peninsula. He says it. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is in his bondage with her children. You can find all of this in that geographic area of what is Arabia, which is, used to be ancient Midian. Would that be compelling? Put this up there. I want to show you some slides first of all. Now, this is the route they now believe that Israel took. I've been diving in the Red Sea many, many times. You have the Gulf of Aqaba and the Gulf of Suez. Uh, The upper part of the Gulf of Suez is the Suez Canal. Now, uh, there are a lot of military installations all along the Gulf of Suez. The Gulf of Aqaba, that's the Israeli side over to the right at the upper portion. Been there, been diving, like I said, all up and down through this, the Red Sea area, Egyptian side, all up and down through there. One night, the boat that I was on was actually fired on by the Egyptian military as it tried to come into port. Uh, This is a sensitive area. But there are two fingers. The Red Sea splits into two fingers. One goes right, the other left. They're both steel, the Red Sea. They're called the Red Sea. And they're fingers of the Red Sea. And they have their separate name, just like, uh, for example, the... Gulf of Mexico, the Caribbean Sea is actually a part of the Atlantic Ocean. And so, uh, you, you take a look at all of this now. And this is the, the area they now believe that Israel crossed through. These are the names. This is a Bible map. Look at what Arabia used to be called. It used to be called Midian hmm. Interesting because according to Paul Mount Sinai is in Arabia and according to Exodus it's also in Midian because they were the same place. That's where Moses went. Why did Moses spend 40 years on the backside of the desert? It was because God knew he was going to have to lead people there so he spent 40 years becoming acquainted with a place. Now I realize I'm showing you a lot of stuff today but it's going to rattle you. I mean I hope that it builds up your most holy faith where you can pray in the Holy Ghost to, to quote the Bible. Amen. And moving on from that, uh, there is a place. This is the, the Gulf of Aqaba again. And the yellow spot is a mountain they have found. Notice right in the middle of it, there's a dark spot. That is Mount Jabil Elaz. And this this is an, uh, a photograph taken. Uh, a satellite photo, and the reason that is dark in the middle of that spot is not because they colored it. There's a mountain you're going to see in a few minutes that is dark at the top. And you will notice the, on the Gulf of Aqaba, notice two-thirds of the way up on the left-hand side. See that? I don't have a laser pointer. I wish you did right now. But about a third of the way down from the top on the left-hand side, you see kind of a light-colored area. That's a very large beach is That's what that is. And uh, it's something called like Nueva. I've actually been all up and down through this area. Come on down if you would, please. Next slide. And, and this is that same beach that you view from uh, looking from the north down now. As you can see, mountains all around it. Right about in the middle of the photograph, you will see to the extreme right, do you notice there, there is an inlet that goes in, that sandy beach, and you notice it goes into the mountains. That's actually a valley. That valley goes all the way through the mountains to where Israel was in Egypt in bondage. They now believe that's the route that Israel took. And remember that Pharaoh said when Israel came to the Red Sea, they've got the Red Sea in front of them, the mountains have enclosed them in. This is what he said, the wilderness has enclosed them in. They can't go anywhere, we'll go. This area is the only area large enough to host several million people. And it can host two and a half million, three million, four million people easily. As I said, what they call Mount Sinai and the Sinai Peninsula doesn't have an area to host that many Jewish people. There were over 600,000 men alone that came out of the uh, Egypt in the Exodus according to the numberings that you read in the book of Numbers. And so this is uh, El Nueva. And move on, and I want to show you something else. They have found this at Nueva. Guess what? The Red Sea is extremely deep. If you've been to Africa, you've heard of the Rift Valley that runs through East Africa. It's a continuation of the Red Sea Valley. It's extremely deep. Guess what? Right there at that beach, the reason the beach is there is because there's an underwater land bridge that goes all the way across to the other side in Saudi Arabia. Used to be Midian. Water's extremely deep on the right, extremely deep on the left. It gets deep again. How was it? That God knew to lead them to the very place where there was an underwater sandbar. Hold on now. Now this is a typograph. Uh, this is developed by Sonor, a typographical uh, a survey that was done by Sonor of that region that now shows the route they believe that Israel took out of Egypt into their promised land. They first went to Midian, and which is now Saudi Arabia, and then north up to. Um, uh, the the promised land and and Canaan's land continue on. Now, if that is the route, you ought to find some evidence of archaeological uh, remains, uh, some archaeological evidence of things that remain. These, based upon this description, they went looking for an area large enough for people to mass in with mountains closing them in on one side, the Red Sea on the other. As you saw, there was only one place that fit that description archaeologists went there and went diving. And this is what they found. Chariot wheels. Not one or two of them, many of them. Chariot wheels, still under there. This is a chariot axle with a wheel at the upper right and left tilted. And you see the axle, uh, the, the shaft of it buried in the sand there to the left. Go on. And this is some other ones. That one you see the chariot. Look right there if you look closely. This is a diver approaching them. They're overgrown with coral. Because metal rusts and overgrows with coral with the exception of gold. They even found a chariot with gold chariot wheels. I showed you a photograph of that one recently. This one looks like a mushroom. That's actually a chariot wheel buried in the sand standing up on its side with a chariot wheel on top. And this is the artist's rendition of what was inside of it to give you some idea. You see? Moving on. You say, how do you know that's real chariot wheels? Because they took them out. Amen. Real enough for me. They cleaned them up. And guess what? Chariot wheels, baby, all the way through. And weapons. Go ahead. Scroll through some more. And even human remains. Human femurs were found buried in the sand in that area. Whether that's more recent or from back then, I don't think anybody really knows. But, but, But moving on, you see? And guess what else? They looked and there was a pillar that is standing there at that beach, Nueva, and guess what it is? It says, this pillar was erected by King Solomon to commemorate the Israel's crossing of the Red Sea. Well, they knew about the pillar, but they just didn't think it was in the exact location until they started finding this other stuff. And they went on the other side in Saudi Arabia, and guess what? Another identical pillar that has the same inscription. Now... Things are starting to come together. You I know what you've heard. Oh, you can't believe that. The Bible's full of fables. You know, Uncle George, he thinks that Moses is the one that built the ark. He's going to tell you how you're supposed to live your life. You know, he thinks that Goliath is the one that fed the the 5,000 in the wilderness. But he's going to tell you what's right and wrong about the Bible, right? Okay, look at this. Scroll on through it. Amen. Guess what you come to Next. You come to an oasis that has 12 ancient whales in it and palm trees. 12 ancient whales. Move to the next one. And uh, sorry, I think we skipped over one. There's supposed to be a, uh, there it is, the whale. That's one of the ancient whales. Now, you say, are these whales new? No, they're ancient. And, And you may not realize this, that part of the world gets very little water. That part of the world right there gets a half inch of rain every 10 years. And it gets up to 138 degrees in the summertime. Now, they hold on to their whales. I've been to Jacob's whale, for example. That goes all the way back to the, the, the time of the grandson of Abraham named Jacob. There are these palm trees and these 12 whales. Is that coincidence? Let's move on. Move to the the, no, the, 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 scroll, the, the slide there. with Yeah, there it is. This is a, a Bible map. Look. There is, right there, Midian, exactly across from the same place. Hmm. That's from the Bible map, taken from the back of a Bible. Move on to the next one now, and you see what? In the distance, as you continue journeying straight out, in the distance, you see a mountain range. And there's this huge desert opening in front of it. And whenever you look at this desert area, it's more than large enough to accommodate millions of people. In fact, Moses was told by God, put a perimeter around the mountain because if anybody touches the mountain, they must be thrust through with a spear and killed because this mountain is holy. He himself was told to take off his shoes. The ground you're standing on is holy. You know what they have? There's a stone fence that's built the same distance from the mountain all the way around it that looks like a perimeter to keep people away. There in the circle is the mountain we're getting ready to look at. Move on to the next one. And this is a part of it as you approach it. Uh, this only shows, uh, it, part of it is cut off, that's the opposite side of the same photo. So you have part of the mountain that is normal, you have part of it, the top 200 feet is burned black. Now that's not retouched, by the way. And move on, uh, let's take another look at it. At the base of it, you have an altar. You say it just looks like a jumble of stones. You must remember that in the, that day, they were told, build your, your altars out of natural stones This is an altar. Now, who is this altar to? Let's get a little closer. You can't see it from where you are, but I'm close enough I can see writing on it. Hmm. These are the things, these symbols that were written on the altar. That's the calf god of Egypt. It's covered with these. Go on. Amen. Covered with these drawings of these calves that the archaeologist is pointing to one there. This is the calf god of Egypt. Could this be? Mount Sinai, could this be the altar to the golden or to the molten calf? Could this be where Aaron offered that? You say, well, what difference does it make? I'll tell you what difference it makes. Every single part of this story was a miracle. Every part of it. And if God was telling the truth, you need to know that what he says about your salvation and what he's promised you is just as real and can be depended upon just like Israel had to depend upon God in the wilderness. Move on. I want to show you something else. Guess what they found 200 yards away? Another altar. This one was to the Jehovah God. And even at the altar, move on to the next one because Israel camped there for years. You see that pit? Those are ashes, carbonized remains of sacrifices. It's full of ashes. They found corrals and and so forth there where the animals, animals had been pinned that were going to be offered as sacrifices. Now, what bearing does all of this have? We're going to see in just a few minutes. Move on to the next one. Remember the stones that I told you, the pillars that Moses established? They have found the remains of pillars that are now broken, torn down. But these pillars are there. There you see, and the pillar measures about two feet in diameter. They're alabaster. And they were stacked on top of each other. And there were a number of them that were there. The Bible says 12. And they still remain to this day in that very area. Moses built an altar to the Lord and erected 12 pillars, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Move on. And let's see what else we find. The archaeologists that found this were arrested. They were imprisoned in a Saudi jail and told they were going to be executed. And whenever the Saudis went in to investigate, after hearing what they were doing, that's when they told them they were going to be executed. They have erected a guard shack. This area is now covered with army patrols. That's one of the Saudi guard guard shacks that is is there. And the Saudi government does not allow people to go near that mountain anymore because it has become a politically explosive and potentially very eruptive kind of circumstance. Move on. And uh, there's the sign, archaeological area. And warning. It is unlawful to trespass. Violators are subject to penalties and so forth. And uh, this is regulated by the Department of Antiquities regulations. And move on. This is, this is a, a, a bona fide archaeological site. Down on the side of that mountain, one portion of it, right in the center, center you see a dark spot. Sorry, I've had to take these photos from the Internet. And so some of them are not the greatest. But right in the middle there's a dark spot. Guess what it is? A cave. Do you know what the locals, the Bedouins have called that cave for centuries? Moses' cave. The cave of Moses. That's where Elijah also went. Move on to the next one here. And remember the rock that split? This is called the split rock. This is the rock that many believe Moses struck with his staff. It's located on top of a 300-foot tall hill. Now bear in mind that there's a lot of stuff being said about rocks. I told you about the rocks, the flat rock with the natural indentations. You say maybe this is just a natural split. Maybe it is. Who knows? But I do know this. They only have a half inch of rainfall every 10 years. And whenever you look at the base of that, there is a channel that has been eroded by water gushing for so long, it's literally worn a a groove in the rock there and washed everything out of the way. How do you get that kind of water volume flowing where they only have a half inch of rain a year on top of a hill that's 300 feet tall? Now do you see my point here? All of a sudden, stuff starts looking like do, 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 do. It's Indiana Jones. I'm expecting him to walk out there any, any moment with his whip in his hand, you know, and his hat on. And the whole, it, this, is, it, this is heavy stuff. Move on to the next one. Amen. And this is an aerial photograph. And I, I'm getting ready to close. This is a satellite photo encircled in red that shows that same black dot that is the top of that mountain. That is unretouched except for the... The photo, they have, and this is another taken of the same. It has been treated with infrared light. They're trying to determine if somebody, if it, it could still be seen, going to the next one. And guess what? It continued, It shows up in each one of these photos as a dark spot that is in sharp contrast to the rest of the area. Now I conclude. What does this mean to believers? I'm in a series designed to help you know not only that God is real, but what his word says is true. And I'm here to show you evidence and show you the latest findings now corroborate the Word of God. What am I ultimately here to do? Tell you some ancient story is true? The only reason that that's of benefit is if what God said yesterday was true, what He says today is true also. Amen. 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 And I want you to notice that in not a single photograph did you see McDonald's. No Safeway. No HEB, no food town, no churches, no
1: Popeyes. You hear what I'm saying? God took care of two and a half to three and a half million people in the wilderness with no water. What does that mean? It means I don't care what the enemy tells you. If you have faith in God, God will come through for you. You can believe God. Woo! Somebody shout yes.
0: It's amazing what you can find on the internet. I just Googled Mount Sinai. Slash Arabia, and there it was. Amen. Now, you say, are there people contesting it? You better know it. Because like I said, there's all this money flowing in from these other places that cannot be authentic. Is this the real one? You decide. I'm not here to tell you it is or isn't. All I'm here to do is tell you the preponderance of evidence leads me to believe that what God said happened Happened just like
1: he said that it did. Amen. Amen. You say, do you honestly believe in the plagues of Egypt? Yes, I do. Do you honestly believe God parted the Red Sea? Oh, yes, I do. Do you believe God sustained Israel in the wilderness for 40 years? Amen and hallelujah. Yes, I do. Not only that. If what he said about them is true, what he said about his blood is true, and my salvation is true, and whoo, Lord
0: have mercy. Amen. So I want to tell you that if God can take care of Israel, he can take care of you. If God can feed two and a half to three and a half million people where there's not a McDonald's to be found,
1: he can take care of you. When the boss hands you a pink slip, hello somebody. God's eye is on the sparrow. He's watching out for you and for me.
0: Amen. Earlier I read to you the scripture that said every word is God breathed. Every word of the Bible is God breathed. And it's profitable, you would own to read, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. Sometimes the Word of God has to correct our thinking. Amen. Sometimes God has to teach us and instruct us. And I think for us as a congregation, it's time to let go of the boat. Concluding with this. We live in troubled times. We live in times when Christians are afraid to be unambiguous. They're equivocating right and left. You know what I mean? People are afraid to stand their ground. You notice all that hoopla going on around the world? You know what happened in Libya the other day? You saw that? Killed the ambassador, the very ambassador that sided with them when they tried to, to overthrow Gaddafi and gain their independence. Turn around and killed him. Amen. You know, I, I, I said it early. I'm going to say it again. When all that stuff started, I said, you better watch out what's going to happen with that. Not because I'm, I've got a crystal ball anywhere. It's just I'm over there. And I'm in these countries, and I hear the hatred and the animosity that is being stirred up. Now, this is the point that I'm making with that, because we're afraid to do anything. They can blame it on a video created by some whack job in Hollywood, but that's not what it's about. Oh, I need a little bit better amen than that. And even the White House has now agreed and admitted that. Huh. I want to tell you the problem. They've got one standard for that part of the world and another standard for Christians. I still need a better amen than that. Maybe you don't remember. Does anybody remember the movie? Or, or how about this, before the movie, what about the musical Jesus Christ Superstore? What about the movie that came out afterward that declared Jesus was a homosexual? Christians said, oh, that's not right. And you know what they said? Fifth Amendment. They came out with one that depicted Muslims and Muhammad as being evil and they started killing people and all of a sudden, you know what the government's now wanting to do? They're actually going to file hate speech charges against these people. They're investigating hate speech charges. Where, were, where was the Justice Department when they said Jesus was gay? Come on, help me out right now. Or that Jesus was sleeping with Mary Magdalene like they did in Mary Jesus Christ Superstore. Why didn't the Justice Department show up and say, hey, speech then? I'll tell you why. Because when you offend Christians, we turn the other cheek. When you offend Muslims, you get a letter ball. I'm sorry. I'm not be, I don't mean to be offensive. I'm just saying it like it is right now. In a few weeks a couple of weeks I'm going to actually teach on how Christians should vote and don't worry I will never tell you a person I won't call a name I'm not even going to identify a party I would never use my position to do that that is not right I won't ever do it I'm going to borrow Tony Evans book Dr. Tony Evans his book on how Christians should vote and I'm going to remind us that we are the Christian majority in America still and we need to stand for truth that's what we need to stand for so you don't need to worry I won't, put, I won't put any candidate down any party down you're not going to see me get drugged into all of that I've never done it yet and I'm not going to start now not after 24 years of being here all I'll simply say is we as believers need to pray and try to get our government to embrace the principles that have brought this nation to where it's at right now stand with me across this building if you would please because there needs to be a turning back to God in this country Would you join me here in the altar before we conclude? Because I want to pray and open heaven over your life. And I've got two minutes left.